0: Are you someone who doesn't take life too seriously? Do you sometimes find that a shot of whiskey isn't only deserved but needed? If you said yes to either of those, welcome to the Whiskey and Lace podcast, where we have honest chats with everyday people, shit shows and all. I'm your host, Erica Altus, and I'm here to empower you to be the best version of yourself and perhaps share in a shot of whiskey. Now pour yourself a glass of wine and let's go. Holy shit, we are in... Season two, episode one of the Whiskey and Lace podcast. And my first guest is the long awaited guest, my brother, Tony. He is here and you guys have seen him on Wine Wednesday. You guys have seen him in uniform for the Seattle Mariners. And now he's sitting in my living room chair and we're enjoying a nice glass of Chardonnay. And I'm so excited to have you here. So thanks for being here. Of
1: course. I'm excited (laughs) to be here.
0: It's going to be a fun interview. Um, We had a lot of people writing questions. I have some questions of my own. Your brother's had some inappropriate questions that we will not touch on. So we'll just, you know, go to the ones that make the most sense. You know, let's, let's start out. Let's start out with this and just get right to it what would your perspective of growing up in our household be like? I mean, we are one of six children. Tony's number four of the six and I'm number five of the six. So what would your perspective be on how our life was growing up?
1: Crazy, obviously. We had four kids under the age of five, I think mom had, and I was the fourth one. So I'm guessing there was a lot of uh, unchanged diapers that I had to deal with at a young age that that I don't remember. (laughs) But if I had to guess, that's probably what happened. And But it was awesome. You you always had someone to play with. I hate being alone now because of it, I think, just because there's always somebody around. It was like, okay, Billy can't play. Okay, Mike, you want to play? Okay, well, I guess I'll play with Erica, but she'll probably start crying. And uh, but uh, yeah, there was always somebody to play with. And we always had background music with Matt. So it was like really cool.
0: All of us feel that way that like because I don't like being alone either. Like the quiet is weird to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't mind it at times, but like. If you're like, hey, okay, you're gonna hang out at home by yourself, or your brother is gonna be there with you, or your sister, or one of your brother in laws or sister in laws, I'm like, hell yeah, more the better. So, but I think that's just started from sharing rooms growing up, and I think there's a, a security you felt too, like, okay, I'm I'm protected because I have somebody else there, uh, especially at a young age. So
0: totally. Well, fun. and speaking of sharing rooms growing up, you kind of have some weird thing that you do when you're sleeping. I mean, I don't think anybody knows this about you, actually. That follows me.
1: Yeah. I mean, occasionally that doesn't happen as much anymore, but I was kind of a sleepwalker talker slash crazy dude that would steal a base in the middle of night and run into the wall. But uh, (laughs) yeah, I definitely had some uh, crazy episodes sleeping. That's for sure.
0: Can I say the one that I remember? Sure. So where we grew up in Bennett Valley of Santa Rosa You know, in Santa Rosa, it gets hot in the summertime and we lived in a two-story house and Mikey and Tony like slept in this like attic room and it would get really hot and upstairs would just be really hot. So oftentimes all of us would like, do you remember, like sleep downstairs in the summertime because it was just so damn hot upstairs. And we didn't have AC. No, no AC. Like it was hot as shit. And so one night I was sleeping on the couch in one part of our living room. And then there was like another family room kind of down a couple steps. And I look over and Tony's like, he looks like in it, he's in the position of like when someone's proposing. Okay. Like down on one knee and he's <laughs> worshiping the ceiling fan. And he's like, the fan, the fan. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> like, I don't remember I was, that, like, but I know you've totally told that story sleeping, a lot. I'm, like, Dude like in the morning I'm all well, you were worshiping the fan like you were so subconsciously so happy to have like a cool element in your life because our life was so hot but since you described that if you had to play with me and I'd probably be crying what would you describe growing up with me as your sister was like
1: Well I be honest I, it's well, okay i don't mind Growing up i think early on there was it, was it was fine and then as we got into like okay 12 13 years old maybe 11 for me cuz i had older brothers but it was, uh, kind of annoying to be honest with you. Um, you would cry a lot and we kind of just pestered you and tried to make you cry, which probably wasn't fair looking back, but it was one of those things where it was like, oh gosh, Erica's here or whatever, but you were usually a good sport. It's just, you know, water works a lot. So, uh, but then it transitioned, you know, once I got to high school and you were coming up and getting closer to high school, I think is when we, we started to connect more and, uh, we started kind of, okay, we we get each other and
0: we became more friends. Yeah, like it was siblings. like, all right, she's
1: pretty cool. Like, I don't, I can admit it now, I guess. And yes, we, we started to, I think, just respect each other and and um, see each other as uh, equals, which before maybe I thought I was a little bit better than you.
0: <laughs> Rightfully so. And you guys did like help toughen me up in a sense, but I will, you know, tell the story about like, I mean, you guys, I cried every all day. All the time. All the time to the point to when I think I was like 10 or 11. And for Christmas, I got a gift from the entire family. I'll never forget it. And it was a mug and it had a little girl like in the rain wiping her away her tears. And underneath the mug, like on the bottom side of the mug, it said no more tears. And you guys all thought it was so funny. And I probably cried. receiving. <laughs>
1: Looking back, that probably wasn't the best <laughs> gift. But.
0: Well, Billy, Billy, I mean, you guys would like Rightfully so. You're my older brothers. You guys would always find ways of teasing me like Billy would like find a way to make me cry and then take a disposable camera and take a picture of me. You know, it was funny. And I'm sure that like, why wouldn't you do that if you got a rise out of me? But at the same time, like being in that position, it was like, fuck these guys, (laughs) you know, but um, no, it was there was never a dull moment in the house. And definitely like I had a lot of tears, but I'm grateful to have all the older brothers that I did for sure. And so with that said, somebody did ask on my stories as a kid, what is the worst fight you and I have ever gotten? Do you remember?
1: I don't think we really. I don't think we really got in like a bad fight. It was just constant bickering for a yeah. while there. Well,
0: in high school, do you know what I'm well, about to Well, yeah,
1: say? I don't remember what happened. <laughs> but All you I remember
0: is the apology letter.
1: Yeah, listened. I just remember the apology letter. Just
0: what did I say? It was you guys like. It was so pathetic. It was for Christmas, was it for Christmas? I think so, but okay. it was like an it was, apology all, slash it was,
1: Christmas card. And
0: it was it was written in cursive, and you he still has a picture of it on his phone because you like randomly sent it to me not not too long ago. And if you find it, please send it to me so I can share it on my stories. But the funniest part was my like I I profusely apologized. I don't even say what it was for, but. In it, I was like, I'm so sorry. I just, I literally, I believe I can quote myself saying, I just wish I was as cool as you. Oh God. <laughs> and then at the end, you guys, the best part is that I drew a heart and then I cursived in the heart, like the heart meant love. And then in the in the heart, I wrote always your sister Eric. Oh, so, it was so pathetic, but it was like, I really did look up to you. Like, I'll never forget when I was a, in eighth grade about to go into Montgomery high school. And you were not going to be in high school when I was there. Like you were graduating. I was, you know, entering it as a freshman by the time you graduated, but you took me to your high school for a day and I got to shadow you. And I just like, I really did think that you were the coolest person alive. You know,
1: I had a pretty cool group of friends too. So, and they all knew you. So you walking around campus, like, Oh, I know all the seniors, and my my brother's friends with totally. them, so I could see how that would be big girl on campus coming from a Catholic elementary school. And it's like, wow, this is cool. I mean, I, I remember my first day of high school. I showed up and I was like, man, I can wear my hat. Hell yeah,
0: yeah, because yeah, totally, yeah, and I, was, like, to. and
1: I was like, girls can wear that whoa, this is really cool. Like (laughs) what, where am I? And, uh, but it's funny that
0: that was your take on your first day of public high school coming off of going to Catholic school for so many years, because I remember my first take on going to public high school, my first day of school, there was a fight in the quad and I remember going home going, holy shit, like, where did you send me? (laughs) This is scary. But I'm actually really grateful that we got to have that experience. I don't know if you share in that, but yeah. I think it was good for us to get away from like the kids that we grew up with in a sense and challenged us to see the world in a big, bigger sense.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think growing up in the smaller school atmosphere, you got to know a lot of people, but then it just opened your eyes like, wow, there's a lot more people. And um, a lot of them we were already friends with through sports. And when I went into high school, I had a brother who was a sophomore and a brother who was a senior. So I knew a lot of people, which was cool. And then uh, for people that went to Montgomery and know the, know this, uh, Coach Frenchie was a football coach and he played in the NFL. And first day of school, during PE, grabs me by my shirt, puts me on the ground and like kind of kneels on my chest. Not like super hard, but hard enough. And like, <laughs> like hits me on the head, not hard, but just kind of like <laughs> messing with me. He's like,
0: you're, this used to not be frowned upon. He,
1: well, it wasn't
0: any, in no. any way like malicious. He knew my sorry. dad, he knew my mom. He was like a family friend.
1: He's like, Arner. it's your dad said to uh, keep an eye on you and that I can kick your ass if I want to. And <laughs> I was like, okay, coach Frenchy, like I knew him my whole life too. So, but.
0: Well, I feel like every time, so we were always the first on the roll call list because yeah. our last name started with or, an A or mine used to yours. Yours still it, does still start does. with an A, Erica. Kind of- <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Um, no, but I just remember being one of the first on the list when a teacher would go down roll call. And by this time, I was the fifth kid to roll through the school. They'd be like, "Arnorich, oh, great, another one. <laughs> like, yeah. here I am. You know? yeah. They didn't know what they were in store for, but, you know. But I also took pride in that. It was it, yeah. it was really cool. It still is really cool coming from a big family and going through that high school experience with sure. All these teachers knowing you, knowing your parents, it sometimes worked not in your favor when you were in trouble because they would always tell your parents, but it was going through Montgomery High School is a pretty awesome experience for yeah, sure.
1: There was a lot of eyes out there for our parents. That's for sure.
0: For sure. It was kind of annoying, honestly. But um, well, so recently I shared a story. We're going to move to a different topic, but recently you shared a story and I shared it that you had had open heart surgery 11 years ago. And a lot of people were like, wait, what, like, why, what happened? So like, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Well, when I was born, I was born with a faulty valve. We'll just say my aortic valve was, it was, I was bicuspid. You're supposed to have three cuspids and then we only had two. So basically blood was going in when it should be coming out and going out when it should be coming in. But I had a procedure done when I was two, my first open heart surgery. And basically 80% of people that have that procedure when they're younger, eventually it worked, basically has to work harder to pump blood to your body and so 80% of people that have that condition when they get into their adult life end up having to have the valve replaced. And so they followed me every year I'd go and get checked up. Um, mom would take me and I'd always get a good treat after the appointment, but um, uh, ice cream or whatever. But we got to a point where it was like, okay, this is getting to a point where it's your heart's working too hard. Um, it was like
0: growing because your heart's yeah, a Yeah. The heart muscle
1: is growing. The left uh, ventricle is growing and It was hard for me because I didn't really feel any symptoms, but they're like, okay, something's wrong with your heart. And so it got to a point where they're like, it's time to replace it. And so I went in to have uh, the valve replacement 11 years ago. Uh, It was during our first year of marriage and uh, Heather was pregnant with AJ. She was about seven or eight months pregnant. So yeah, that was scary. Second heart surgery came then and it went well, as we thought anyway.
0: Well,
1: yeah, (laughs) uh, everything was going great. And then uh, we had AJ in January, and then in August, I got an infection in my heart. They don't really know how. And I was in a hospital for a while, and then they put me on some antibiotics, and they said, we're going to have to replace the valve again, because typically when you get an infection in your valve, that's not a really good thing,
0: yeah. uh, to be honest with you. Like, it was a staph infection, yeah, right? Yeah, a
1: staph infection on the valve, which…
0: is a very risky yeah, area to get an infection.
1: Yeah. And so, looking back, I, I think I probably should have been more scared than I was, but um, it, it was a scary time, Um you know, when the doctor says, we're not going to do anything out of fear, like we're going to figure this out. And so anyways, there was but a I'll lot I'll never of-
0: forget when that surgeon- Okay, first of all, like not back to up. like back up a minute. Yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. But when you came out of heart surgery, the first one, when Heather was seven months pregnant, I was in the room when you came out of that situation. And you guys, I think Heather was off with her, like with her mom or something, grabbing lunch. And they told us to expect that he's not going to wake up for a while. And that's why I was like- Am I right? Heather's in the room right now. Heather, am I right? When he woke up, when he came out? Okay. Oh, when he talked to you. Yes. Yes. So I just remember you waking up and it was like this surge of energy. Like the guy was like, "Ah." (laughs) oh, he came out. And he was like, I'm alive. I'm alive. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, and all these nurses are kind of running in and like, they're like kind of meeting him where he's at. But at the same time, like, bro, like you just had like open heart surgery. You've got to calm down. But he was like so pumped up. And it was just, it was kind of surreal. Like, whoa, like you you see your brother in this sedative state. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all I want to like, do is go cook ribs with Bob. Yes, like he was That's just very, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. He was just very, very happy to be alive. But then this, and you know, then this second wave of scare happened. And when you had that surgery where they had to basically, correct me if I'm wrong, like take this needle, not to be TMI, but like pull the infection out of the valve, right? Like with this
1: tiny little. To, To basically see what it was and do they have, can they combat it with some antibiotics or whatever?
0: Yeah. And when that surgeon came out, I don't think any of us who saw his face will ever forget. Like the relief on his face, but also knowing like that that surgeon felt holy shit. I was so close because had they hit something right, like yeah, he was within like millimeters of a very risky area that could have been lethal. You know, like for yeah. lack of a better
1: term. Well, and they didn't fully put me under for it, so I'm like all drugged up, feeling good. What? They're like, I never knew that. Yeah, and they're like, don't move your arms. I'm like, what? Like, I'm I'm in some weird universe right now with the drugs you gave me, <laughs> and tell me not to move my arms like. Oh, Okay, like and then, then he's got this needle. I'm like, that's sick. Like, what's
0: that? Yeah. You know? And
1: it was, yeah, it was, it was crazy.
0: But luckily now, like you're, you know, as of right now, do you still have to like get your heart checked out? You know, yeah, every so
1: And so I was on the antibiotics. I was supposed to have another procedure to replace it again. Which, if you get opened up twice in a year, less than a year, is usually not good. Yeah. Um, and they because they then they would clear out everything. And so we were about a week before the second surgery. And I went in for a pre-op and they did a CT scan and the doctor came in. I remember his face. He's like, Tony, we don't see any infection. Like, we didn't think this was possible. We're not really sure, you know, if it's right, but we don't think we should do the procedure. And, and I was kind of like almost dis- not disappointed, but I was like, wait, are you sure? Because like, yeah, like- mentally I was like, let's do it. Let's get it done. With. Like, okay, I'm ready for it. Like, got myself to a place right. where I was like, okay, second time, I don't care. I'm, well, we're going to crush it. And then they're like, no, we're going to wait. Like, come back in three weeks. We're going to do another CT scan. I'm like, what? Like, what the hell? Okay. And then went back three weeks. And then it was like, come back in a month. Come back in two months. Come back in three months. Come back in five. A year. And now it's never come back. And so weird. the doctor told me, he's like, we didn't think this was possible. We think maybe the antibiotics you're on killed it, but we're not really sure. But
0: whatever it is, thank God you didn't have to do that again.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Do they think that you're going to have to have it again in your lifetime?
1: No. I well, mean, unless, the unless something infection returns. but Right. I have a mechanical valve, which is different than a pig valve. So it yeah. it's supposed to last your whole life. So
0: All right, knock well, on wood. To be determined, but let's hope that, yeah. you know, modern I medicine does its job. At some point, it's, gonna, its, some point
1: it's probably going to stop ticking, but <laughs>
0: <Eventually>. <laughs> let's
1: hope it's not for a long time. All right.
0: So let's completely shift gears and let's talk baseball.
1: Great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tell us where your love from the game came from, when it started, like, at what age, I mean, you don't have to take us like through every single like inning and strike that you've ever been through. Because yeah. <laughs> if you live in a baseball family, you know that they remember all those details. But where do you remember like the love of the game, where it came from and where your strife came from?
1: I just playing wiffle ball growing up with Billy and Mikey and our neighbors and yeah. everybody. It was and then just our family going to family events and you know, like grandfather, grandpa and uncle Ken and uncle Ron and all of my great uncles, then they always talked about baseball and we always had baseball on. it was like, okay, I'm the fourth kid. I'm the third boy. I mean, I was just, it was like perfect storm for me. Like, man, I love all this. My brothers are really good. I'm trying to be like them. They're kind of bullying me around cause they're more physical and stronger. And so I had to like either keep up or, or get out. So that's where it started. And then it just continued. I, I love catching dad, put me behind the plate early. And I love putting on the gear and it was just like a match made in heaven. It was weird. I just loved it. You were quick. Yeah. I mean, I just, I loved the game and uh, learned it fast and was lucky enough to play for a long time. So
0: speaking of like growing up with a baseball family, there was a time in our lives where during high school sports, our dad and you guys, if you listened to like episode two of the first season, when my dad was being interviewed, he was the coach of the rivalry school that Tony and Mikey were going to high school. Santa Rosa high when Tony and Mikey went to Montgomery high and I have and to Billy, ask and Billy and Billy and Billy. Yes. But was he coaching at the time when Billy was playing? I think so. Oh, was he? Yeah. Okay. Maybe um, not. I, don't know. I wasn't sure, but at one point I do remember that. And, and I talked about this on that podcast because, and I'm bringing it up now because I feel like I want to know your answer to this question, but Mikey is blind in his left eye and I asked dad the question of did you ever take advantage of the fact that he was blind in his left eye as a pitcher and would like you know have bigger leadoffs on first or steal first to second because he couldn't see to the left and Tony's catching so he had to be a different view for Mikey but do you feel like dad ever took advantage of that as the opposing coach or no
1: well I mean Mikey's not gonna like to hear this but he threw so slow that it didn't matter if they got a good (laughs) jump (laughs) <laughs> they were gonna steal anyways, but uh, I'm just kidding. My, Mikey was a really good. Mikey was a really good pitcher. My favorite pitcher I ever caught. Really? and I've caught some good pitchers. Yeah.
0: Aw, um, that's really yeah. cute to say. Are you just saying that?
1: No, I've said it my whole life. Because when you catch your brother, there's like a different level of like, well, I don't really care if you like what I'm about to say. I'm I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say. And you have teammates that you get close to that point with, right? But. I think when anybody that's played sports, when you have a close-knit team, you say if you feel like your brothers. Right. Yeah. And so for Mikey and I it was like, I mean, I could get mad at him and I knew like, well, he's still my brother. What is he going to do? Dump me? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm mean, like, all right, we're not brothers anymore. Like he, we were still brothers. So you could be brutally honest. I knew that he wanted to win. He knew I wanted to win. So it was just really fun. Cause it was like, all right, like you just have this different care factor for his success. Yeah. Um, And you want so bad for him to do well. But I will say on, on that side of what dad said is, I mean, I wouldn't say calling a bunch of curveballs is cheating, but when when Mikey's at the plate, he saw a lot of curveballs. And if you're blind <laughs> in one eye, I'm guessing a curveball is hard to recognize. And so I
0: asked the wrong question. I should well, have asked if he had a steam throw a bunch of curveballs. Yeah.
1: Curve yeah. <laughs> when he was hitting, yes.
0: You guys, at the next family function, this entire discussion is going to be brought up. For sure. <laughs> we'll let you know how that goes.
1: Hey, Erica, I'm starving. You want to go get a sandwich?
0: Uh, yeah, duh. I love sandwiches.
1: Perfect. Let's go to Osiello's.
0: Okay. What kind of sandwich are you going to get there?
1: Well, I've really been craving a hot dog.
0: A hot dog? A hot dog isn't a sandwich.
1: Erica, a hot dog is a sandwich. We've been over this. There's meat between two pieces of bread.
0: Oh my God. Okay, fine. Whatever. I love their buffalo chicken sandwich. So let's go. Oh, and I love that all their sandwiches come with fries or chili. And you get to go to the condiment bar. So you know what I do? I get copious sides of ranch to dip my fries in, and I smother my sandwich in mayo because nobody likes a dry sandwich. Osiello's Fifth Street Bar and Grill, located in the heart of our downtown, has been family-owned and operated for over 23 years. A true testament to a neighborhood bar and grill, where everyone knows your game. Osiello's offers ice-cold beer from local breweries such as Henhouse, Cooperage, Fogbelt, Fog Belt, as well as timeless favorites such as Coors Light. And you know me, I love a good glass of Chardonnay. And Osiello's offers some of my favorite local wines like Kendall Jackson Chardonnay, Copan Rosé, and La Crema Pinot Noir. And for the cocktail lovers, Osceola's keeps it fresh with fresh squeezed margaritas and arguably the best Bloody Mary in town, topped with pickled veggies and crispy bacon. Osceola's claim to fame is the do-it-yourself condiment bar equipped with everything you need to dress your burger or grilled sandwich. As a cheers to baseball season and mine and Tony's love for quote-unquote sandwiches, from now until the end of April, if you mention the Whiskey and Lace podcast, you'll receive $5 off Tony's and I's favorite sandwiches, the hot dog and the full-sized buffalo chicken sandwich. Cheers. All right, so we're through high school sports and a lot of people want to know, okay, did you play college? And then what happened? Like as a player, how'd you transition from a player to a coach? Like, what was that journey like?
1: Well, I went to Santa Rosa JC, played two years and then transferred to Texas Tech, played one year, which was great. It was fun. And I signed with the Royals and played five years of minor league baseball. And it became apparent like, okay, like I'm not going to make it to the big leagues. And for whatever reason, not good enough, strong enough. Mentally, it's tough. Baseball's yeah. hard. I was on. Well,
0: percentage-wise, like what is the yeah, percentage? Yeah, it's not good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, but I was on the East Coast a lot, so I got homesick. You know, a lot of guys I played with, they have nothing to go home to. I had five siblings and a family, and and nieces and nephews, and like there was a lot that I was missing at home, or, or you know, and in, in my mind, especially because I'm just on the East Coast, and uh, it was your bef- family. It, guy. it was before right right before like social media so it, was, it wasn't as easy to keep in touch you had a cell phone but there wasn't people weren't like watching your game live stream and facetiming and it was tough on me and and I just you know I probably hit my peak but anyway I got transitioned into coaching and it, that was hard I think it's one of the biggest things people talk about in professional baseball is transitioning when you stop playing because like you said the numbers are against you so most people that play professionally in the minor leagues are not going to make it to the big leagues And then it's like, well, now what? This thing you've worked for your whole life, like this was your heart and soul. This is every day you woke up like this is what I want to be. And your dream gets crushed. And people are like, okay, see ya. You're like, now what do I do? Right. And so I I was one year away from my degree. And I thought, well, coach high school, baseball or whatever. And just kind of, I always thought I would be a coach. I was a catcher. So it was just something I thought I would do. When you're a people
0: person. So that helps.
1: I I guess uh, (laughs) the right people, but yeah it just was something I like to do. And I felt like it was just came naturally to me to, for me to coach. But that transition period is tough because y- you feel like a failure a little bit, right? right. Because your whole life you, you put in all these hours and then it's like, okay, now what? And a lot of people struggle with that. Uh, a lot of people don't like end up transitioning well. Right. And so there's programs in place. I don't know the names off my head, okay. off the top of my head, but there are programs in place to help people that are transitioning, which I think is really good because It's, it's not easy.
0: Right. Cause like you've worked towards something so wholeheartedly and like put all this energy into, and then it's like, you've lost your identity in a sense. You're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Go get my business degree now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's your passion, right? Right.
0: So you left, you know, minor league baseball and then you got a position right with, did you right away get one with Cal?
1: Well, I went to Sonoma state for like a year and finished, like was finishing my degree, helping out there. Okay. Um,
0: And then you ended up coaching for Cal. Yeah. Where'd the tradition go from coaching from Cal to Mariners?
1: The transition. So I was at Cal from 2007 to 2014. Mm -hmm. And then I had two years where I kind of went a different way and was doing some private stuff. Um, And then uh, a friend of mine, Annie McKay with the Mariners, um, called me and they had this job as catching coordinator for the whole organization. So basically just in charge of catching and what we're going to teach our catchers at all levels from basically the Dominican Republic all the way up to Seattle. So I took that job and been with them ever since. So, so
0: all the, so it was like all the minor league divisions that you were working with, but this was before you landed the coach as in the major leagues.
1: Yeah. So I was a minor league catching coordinator. Then I was assistant hitting coordinator, minor, minor league catching coordinator, Then I was a field coordinator, which basically you oversee everything that we're teaching and whether it's, you know, you're kind of overseeing all your pitching coaches, head coaches, hitting coaches, and just everything. And then Two years ago, um, we had a job in the big leagues as a hitting coach open and they asked me to do it. So,
0: And how was that? Because I will personally never forget that feeling of like you like announcing or like letting us not announcing. It's not like you were like, I have an announcement to make. Yeah. But like you did let our family know that you got this position. And I just feel like for me, it was one of my most proudest moments for you. So like, what was that like getting that phone call or getting that offer?
1: I mean, it was cool. It was just I wanted to share it with people that kind of been on the journey with me the whole time, you know? So like you and everybody else in the family, you know, Mm -hmm. calling dad and calling my brothers. It was like really cool. Greg Dunn, who has been a mentor to me, called him, who I lived with when I was volunteer. I was a volunteer coach at Cal. So basically getting paid nothing. And this guy let me live with him. It was one of dad's best friends growing up and still is. So I wanted to call him because, you know, there's people along the way that help you get to where you need to go. And you don't realize it then, but then you look back, you're like, man, if I didn't have housing in the East Bay, coaching at Cal, volunteering, like where would I have lived? Right. Right. And and this guy and Linnea, his wife, they they took me under their, their roof and forever grateful. A lot of grateful, intricate parts. Yeah, forever grateful for that. And then the sacrifices mom and dad made, you made, you had to go to a lot of freaking baseball games, right? Like <laughs> uh, Matt, you know, my brothers, like I owe a lot to them too. So it was just more or less like, let me let me just share this with you guys because I know you guys were a big part of it and you guys cared, um, yeah. which helped me a lot.
0: Well, I think it's cool that all of us, the six of us, are all each other's biggest cheerleaders. Like we all do want to see each other succeed. Yours, you know, obviously was just, you know, when you find out that your brother is headed to a position in the major leagues, you're like, holy shit. (laughs) And then you all of a sudden become like, you know, we were all Giants fans living in the Bay area. And then you're like, all right, time to buy some Seattle Mariners gear, you know, (laughs) and and you do it. And a lot of people ask me that question, like, wait, how are you not a Giants fan? It's like, well, when your brother's in the dugout, like you're switching, you're switching teams, you know, like you root for that team. You were very much watching every game and you're learning about every player. And I will say that it's been such a fun journey to watch, but I also know that As fun as it is, like there's some realness to it. There's some hardships with it. There's some sacrifices that you make. So like, can you tell us what it's like to be in this position and being a dad and being a husband and how that's affected your life positively, negatively? Like, what do you have to say?
1: When I was in pro ball, there was a lot of great coaches I had, and there was a lot of coaches I looked at. I'm like, I don't want to be like that, right? Like, I don't want to be that husband or that dad. And I associated a lot of it like, okay, because they're pro coaches, that's why they're like that. And then I got back into pro ball and I was like, okay, this isn't true. Like you can still be a good dad. You can still be a good husband and still be a baseball coach. Just, you have to put in the effort and the time and you really have to have a good partner, which I I obviously have. Um, But yeah, it is tough. You miss a lot. Um, But like I said before, we have FaceTime now. We have more ways to communicate. And I think we have the village around here that helps too. whether it's you and Mark or mom and dad or Heather's parents, uh, just my friends. I mean, there's so many people that, that help. So you just get through it and it becomes kind of, this is what you do and this is how you make it work. And there's a lot of cool things too, right? Like sharing experiences with them and they get to go to games and, you know, Julio Rodriguez knows their names, which is really cool. Yeah, like to, to, totally. and, uh, we went to the playoffs, they got to fly on the plane with the team plane. And so there's a lot of cool things that happen as well that, that other kids don't get to experience. And so it's just, you have to manage it. Good thing is I have a really... I have a perfect partner for that, so she's so um, rad. Yeah, she's rad. That's why I said at our wedding, like Heather's rad.
0: And she makes everything go. Is what you've very, always said. Yeah,
1: she's very um, easygoing and just understanding, and and makes it work. She just figures it out. And, she does. She and, does a
0: way better job than I would do if I was in her. Business. Yeah, you'd be freaking out. You're <laughs> at home alone with the kids. Out. Like oh who's that? <laughs> it's
1: like that was uh, the dishwasher. Yeah, you're kinda, good. Nobody's in your house.
0: But no, I mean you really are gone for a good majority of the year, which is like. February to October, you know, and so it's a large portion of the year. But I will say, from an outsider's perspective on like your immediate family, you guys do a great job at balancing it all. And because it's so not normal what you do, it really isn't. But luckily, you know, like you guys are able to find time to have the kids come out or you do come to the bay area when you're playing you know and so like they get to see you then but you guys do i have to say like you i commend you for how well you do and and i do see i mean i'll see tony on facetime sometimes when i'm hanging out with heather and he's he's being a dad still through facetime like you are like you're you know getting on top of your kids for not listening to their mom if they need to and (laughs) even if there's a state or two in between with doing that you're around even though you're not around and i think that that's so important. And your kids are like, they're happy and thriving. And I really commend you for what you do. So thank you.
1: Thank you. And I mean I gotta, I gotta credit our kids too, because they're they're tough. They they put up with it. But um, you know, that's kind of just what they know. And right. and they adapt. Kids are good at adapting. And, you know, but I think from the beginning we've said if this ever doesn't seem like it's good and We can't make it work. Let's figure something
0: else out. How does it change for you? Like, okay, so you go from being totally in season. And I remember you this past season saying how weird it was to all of a sudden going day in, day out, going to baseball games and like dealing with the same people and like living that life of major league baseball to then being home. Yeah, What is an off season like for you? What do you try to make sure that you do and what 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 does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, I mean it's just one extreme to the other. You you have your traveling party, people in the clubhouse every day that you see, for nine nine and a half months straight, and then you get come home and you don't see any of them, really. Yeah, right? that's I mean, weird. There's, we have one coach that lives <laughs> in Napa, uh, Negron, and I get to see him every now and then, but it's it you don't see them as much, and you know, you have FaceTime calls with them, and and there's calls that we do. We we still do work in the off season, but it's just now you come home and it's like how do I invest my time properly. And that's not easy, you know, cause you want to make sure you give the kids and, and Heather, and I want to make sure I give them all the time they need and my family and friends. And, and then you also want to get some baseball stuff in too, cause you, you love to coach. And so try to do just balance it all, but making sure that you're, you're still getting better as a coach and still trying to help others uh, within our organization and, and continue to learn. And then keeping in touch with our players. Uh, we have calls with all our players. So there's time that is put into that. But I think it's the biggest thing is when those things aren't going on is being present with the people I'm with, whether, you know, it's Heather and the kids or whoever, or you guys. Well, I feel and,
0: like a couple of weeks ago we were in your kitchen and I remember mom called or like FaceTimed and um, we were like AJ and Austin and Heather were baking and I was like making a scallop potato and you were just like, I, I, truly felt like you were like, I'm so happy in this moment watching my family just cooking and being in the kitchen and like having a Sunday at home watching football. And it was just like, I feel like you don't take those things for granted. And I will tell you as your sister who loves to have you around and please don't ever move, that I too love having you here. And I cherish every moment that you're here and every dinner that we have. So like I can see the same you know, from you.
1: Yeah. And and we spent a lot of time together in the off season, which is cool. And yeah, our kids are like pseudo siblings, even though they are cousins. They're they're like siblings. Oh, and, totally. But yeah, I remember, I forget, it was a couple of weeks ago. And Livy's like, well, what are we doing today? And it's like, we're doing what we're doing right now. We're just sitting on the couch watching <laughs> like college football. And I was like, and it's so much fun. And she's like, yeah, it is. You're right, dad. Like we're hanging out or whatever. So yeah. just those little times where maybe moments. having nothing to do are the times where you're like, okay, this is. This is what I need right now.
0: Totally, totally. Well, a serious question came in by one of our favorite people. Oh boy, <laughs> Lindsay Laro asked the question. Curious minds need to know: when you are in a major league baseball dugout and it's the middle of a game, and you got to drop a deuce, like where are we going? What are we doing? Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in I mean, the, like
0: it's an honest question. I'm like, you know what? That's a good question. I have no idea what
1: happened. Yeah, it depends on where you're at. I mean, at home. Most dugouts, all dugouts have a bathroom that's pretty close to the dugout. Some are closer than others. And, um, you know, like Oakland, it's like in the dugout, which is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. So, oh my gosh. Yeah, It's like in, there's a door and like.
0: That shows how old that stadium is. Yeah.
1: But I love Oakland because yeah. everybody's usually there, family and Oakland's really cool, but, uh. In other places, you have those bathrooms and and sometimes the clubhouse is pretty close, too. So if you have to go up to the clubhouse, you can do that, too. In Oakland, it's pretty far up to the clubhouse, so you're not going to do that. So you could, I guess. And then, but yeah, every dugout typically has a bathroom.
0: And (laughs) So now if you ever need to know where people are taking dumps during a game, (laughs) now you know players. Yeah it happens, you know, like we're all human. More
1: often than you think.
0: Yes, totally. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, so I do have a lot of people, moms specifically that follow me, and they have kids that are really striving to be athletes, specifically in baseball. And there's been a lot of like talk and controversy, not controversy, but I guess conversation around travel ball and kids playing one sport year round and focusing on that to make them get really, you know, really good at the sport. What's your take on this? Do you think travel ball, the money, the time spent, you know, on travel and, or just one sport in general, like the amount of money that that takes, like, is it worth it? Well, I mean, it
1: kind of depends on who you are and the bankroll you have, uh, whether it's worth it or not, and you can afford it. I just think it's all everything, like anything in moderation. And especially when they're young, When you're 10 years old, I don't think your career is going to be made or not made because you played a fall league baseball league or you didn't. Right? Um, For me, it's about does the kid enjoy it? If they enjoy it and they want to keep pursuing it, keep providing for them to do that, and just be aware of uh, there's a lot of people out there that make money off this, and so understand that you if you're going to put them in a program, you want the right people that are going to be able to to teach them and coach them and so getting to know the program and the people that run the program and and doing your due diligence is important as far as who's going to be coaching my son. You know, around here, Casey Olenberger, like I trust him. Yeah. So if I have to send His AJ somewhere. His program is
0: so incredible. Austin just played in like a summer league program for him or like fall, I guess. It was like end of summer, beginning of fall. And it felt like the sandlot. Yeah. Like It was just like this like very easy going, you know. Well, baseball, baseball should be
1: fun. And that's what I think. You know, a lot of times we, we, in our world now, there's so much instant gratification. It's like, well, if I pay this guy, then my kid will be good. And it's like, well, there's, there's a process that goes into it. If I go to the gym tomorrow and do hundred abs, you're not just going to automatically get a six pack, right? Like you have to put in <laughs> right. the time and the, and the effort and, and, and sometimes and, you're
0: not genetically made up to like have a six pack. And yeah. sometimes kids are just not naturally talented. And I think that parents become more, in my opinion, I think that a lot of parents like get their own egos wrapped up in their kids' talent Mm -hmm. and they don't realize, dude, your kid's not going to make it. Well, and it's not
1: even about making it to the big leagues. Like that's okay. Dream big. You should dream big. My dream was to make it to the big leagues. Right. And I was going to do everything I could to get there. Little did I know it ended up being as a coach, which is, you know, awesome. But it's one of those things where it's like, let your kid dream and and push them. And, and, but they need to understand what it's going to take to fulfill that dream right? Like I want to be a big leaguer. So does every other kid. Right. In the world. I mean, you're talking about, you know,
0: and like statistically speaking, like
1: let's, yeah. I mean, you could become a big leaguer. Or you get struck by lightning. Like they're pretty similar chances, but right. uh, not, not really, but, <laughs> but no, it's it, probably, I, you don't want to crush dreams though. So right. it's like, no, you, work hard. you, you teach them to work hard and hopefully it, it, it instills that in them. And you know, you don't have to crush them with, hey, the numbers are against you. Right. But you can understand that, okay, dreaming big is great and they can be whatever they want to be. And if they're good enough, they will make it to the big leagues, right? So if they work hard and if they put in the time and the effort and, and, and but also let make them understand or tell them and how challenging it's going to be. Yeah. And what will you like do? don't if, bullshit them. Well, yeah. How are you going to handle adversity? Right. If it doesn't work out, what are you going to do?
0: But also, do you feel like kids, because there's so much pressure to- put their energy towards one sport at a time, like that they get burnout by the time they get to college. Like I could see how that would be like, Oh my God, I'm just done with this.
1: Yeah. I think it just depends. I mean, you used to see Tiger Woods, right. And what right. he did and, True. um, and he was, you know, his dad had a unique, um, approach. approach to him. And I just encourage people to play as many sports as you can, because how many kids have I know in my life that grew up to be major league baseball players, a couple, yeah. one maybe one or two that I grew up with. Right. And so just understanding that, okay, well, I want my kid to know how to be a good basketball player. And the one thing that people don't, I think sometimes we lose sight of is when you play basketball, you may be the sixth man on your team. And nowadays people just quit if I'm the sixth or seventh man, because I'm going to go play baseball, because I'm really good at baseball. But if you stick through it and you work your way up and you work your way into the starting five, now you're learning what it takes to be a bench player that works his way into a starting lineup, no matter the sport. Now, as you move up in baseball and you get a D1 scholarship or you go to the JC or whatever, you play pro ball, now all of a sudden you're that that backup. You've already gone through this before in basketball where you had to work your butt off to get yourself in a starting lineup. And now you can utilize those things you learned about, okay, I may not be the starter now, but I'm gonna do everything I can to earn that job. And so you've learned that through another sport. You also learn what it's like to be a good teammate you know what it's like when you're the seventh or eighth man on a basketball team and the star treats you like crap and you go, I'm never going to treat someone like that. If I'm the star now you're the star in baseball and you have a kid that's sitting behind you, you know, okay, I'm not going to treat someone that way. You learn how to be a good teammate. Um,
0: it gives you more dynamic and yeah, sure. every sport and perspective
1: and, and yeah, and everything.
0: Yeah. Well, and like every sport has like different coaching techniques and yeah, I think it challenges, I think it definitely challenges kids. Yeah.
1: And I mean, I think kids need, time to be kids, like yeah. go chase butterflies, go to the pool. Like Cook, you don't always have to have a schedule of, of events and practices and, and it's fine if that works and, and they love it. Cool. But I just don't think we should force it on them. And, and yeah, because let when them- we
0: were growing up, like, let's be honest, when we were growing up, we, I mean, and I was, I was a girl and really our sports life was very much revolved around you guys, like as boys, um, and baseball. But at the same time, like, I don't feel like mom and dad were like running to practices like crazy and had us in four different sports at once. And, and granted, like if your kid's totally into that, like I get it, but I do remember and my core memories personally, and this was obviously pre social media, pre cell phones, all that stuff. I remember like playing in the front yard and I remember you guys playing wiffle ball all the freaking all the time. time. Like every single day. They would like record themselves pretending to be in the World Series with like jackets on. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> and they'd be down in our garage hitting in like this net every I hit day. That net like a lot. I do think that the downtime is where you guys really probably it helped excel you in the sport as well. You know, like yeah, help you get better. That's where
1: you kind of fall in love with it too. Like, okay, this is this is what I love doing. I'm doing it in my free time. Right. Right. Uh, not because I've been told, okay, I practice. And, you know, D- dad did a lot to, to, we had a lot of things going on. We did play a lot and dad created Honey Mac and Santa Rosa, but we didn't start that till we were like 14 or 15. So I think for us growing up, it was like baseball in the spring and summer. We kind of had off and mostly we had all-stars and then basketball was in the fall and we'd play a few rounds of golf in between, not competitively. Yeah. And, and that was it. And dad was smart in that when Billy was 12 and, Mikey was 10 and I was nine, he had us all on the same team, so we all had the same practice schedule, which was very um, well planned convenient. out, I should say yeah
0: <laughs> Well, thinking of speaking not thinking of speaking of siblings, there are six of us. and I'm just curious what would your take be on like how you maintain consistent relationships with your siblings over the years? like what's how do you think we do it?
1: I, I think it's evolved over time since social media and phone, cell phones in general. But I think now, I mean, it's kind of funny, but I think it's through Mariner Games. It really helps us, right? Yeah. Like when I get to them with a game, I go up to my locker and my phone's sitting there and it's like ninety-three new messages, right? <laughs> and it's and it's a lot of times the majority are from our, our group text and yeah um or or on the side, you know, from one of you just like, Hey, good game or following and, and just like whatever. It's, but that is something that I think unifies us right now. And yeah, you know, in the past that it We've was, all been
0: really close for a really long time. And I will say that um I'm like, I do chalk it up to like our parents in the sense. I don't I mean, maybe I could chalk with them, right? Yeah. Like they just they never got involved in any of our, like our fights or anything like that. And like we all just like have always had each other's backs and like we're very easy to forgive. And I think that is huge because all of us have made mistakes, all of us have been assholes at one point or another. But we easily forgive. And I think that that's like a huge part of maintaining a healthy, you know, sibling relationship. And and we all really fuck with each other a lot in the sense of like we like joke around a lot. We like to have fun a lot. We don't have very high expectations of one another when it comes to like holidays and all this stuff. Like we just are just, hey, like we all understand that everybody can only do what they can or be where they can where they can. So like... I don't know. I just think that we try to like have as much forgiveness. I think forgiveness is the biggest thing that comes to mind for me with having six siblings and just being like, I'm going to meet you where you're at. (laughs) Yeah. We're not always going to, you know, be able to do all the things all the time. And, but like, we're always going to be here for one another. And when we come together, it's the best thing ever. Like we just have the best time
1: ever. And I think it's just an appreciation of each other and what we've all witnessed each other go through, right? We've been there. Yeah. For the most part from the start. And again, that's that's a tribute to mom and dad. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they've, from the start, it's unity as a family and we're together and um, we're, a fam- a we're a family. our family meetings growing up? Yeah. No, what about, I mean, I remember them, but I don't remember what was said in them. <laughs> but yeah, but that part of it. And I think, too, just looking at the, the spouses uh, that, yeah. that we've chosen, we're very lucky.
0: We really, really, really are.
1: Yeah, you know, except for Mark motherfucking Altez. But uh, no, I'm just kidding, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> no we're, a we're huge all dick. we're all what'd you say
0: i said that guy's a huge dick oh
1: my god i thought you said something else sorry <laughs> oh <my laughs> like jesus erica shut it down no <laughs>
0: there was one word that could have played into that very differently oh
1: man <laughs> oh no but I, it's just you know you you look at our, our spouses <laughs> oh and and they're all really cool they and, fit and
0: in So well with our family.
1: Yeah. And we fit in well with them, right? Like it's, it's really interesting how it all worked and,
0: and all of our kids. It's really, and I think Billy described it so perfectly because I know it's, I personally know it's not normal. Like he's like, we have the unicorn situation of a family dynamic with siblings. And so like, I just want anybody else that's listening to know that like, it's, it's an anomaly. And I can't just like pinpoint like why it works the way that it works, but I will just say that like putting an effort and having a lot of forgiveness really truly does help in the sibling department. But I think part I'm of it too is just, just
1: ask for help and offer help is one thing that I think we we do we do well. Which people are like, God, they're just tooting their own horns on here, right? They're family, no, but
0: no, no but you guys, we have our struggles. Trust us. Yeah. Like there's like family drama that happens for sure, but we
1: get through it. It's
0: part yeah. yeah. Yeah, we just get through it. But all right, so I was like trying to think of some like very witty last question (laughs) to offer up every single podcast you know, for the second season. And I didn't get one from my audience that was like worthy enough. But I do think that this question is very worth asking. And I like to be asked this question. And I just was asked it on another podcast that I was on. And I was, you know what? That's like a good question to ask people, which is what are you looking most forward to in life? You know, like if you see yourself like 10 years down the road, where do you see yourself? What would you like to like? What position do you see yourself in? Where yeah. would you like to be?
1: It's so funny. People have asked me this a lot. And they have? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, when you interview and you get go through the coaching world, it's like, so where do you see yourself in five years? And they
0: always want you to say, the World Series. Well, yeah,
1: and it's like, I don't know. I, I just see it differently, and I don't know whether it's going through heart surgeries or whatever. Like, tomorrow's not guaranteed type, type um, perspective that I try to take of, like, I know that if I dominate what I'm doing today, tomorrow will be good. So, like, if I dominate being a dad today, my relationship with my kids will be good. I dominate being a good coach today. Other opportunities will come. Like, would you want to manage someday? Sure. But like, if I don't, if I'm not a good hitting coach or bullpen coach or whatever, how am I going to manage? Like that's a pipe dream. So it's about today. And how do I crush today? Knowing that if I do that as a husband, father, brother, whatever it is, those usually lead to greater and better things. No,
0: I love this. I think that yeah. that's such a good perspective. So, but and what do I look
1: forward to though, Erica? Like, I just look forward to seeing my kids and my family continue to just get closer and grow. Right. And just experience cool things with them. Like you had asked me, what's your favorite memory with you?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Because somebody just did ask that. And I asked him that before the podcast aired. He's like, I don't know. Like, you can't well, think of one. Well,
1: well, no. But the favorite thing about it is like a lot of my great memories, you're there. Yeah. Right? And my, our families are, there's what, like, one. there's just so many. Like, I love that my sister lives down the street from me. That's cool. Yeah. Like, there's a, there's but all the memories of funny, you know, shit that happens. Like, it's like, yeah, that's right. You were there. Like, but it's not one thing that sticks out. It's just yeah. the fact that you're there for a lot of them and, and your family and the rest of our families are, it's just, we, we share a lot. And that's cool. That's why I tell people like, Oh, when we go to Christmas, they're like, hell yeah. I'm like going to hang out with my buddies. Right. So, yeah. And so brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws and <laughs> brother and sisters. But, um, yeah. No, it's. So I, I just look forward to to the journey.
0: I do love the saying, and I don't know if this is still the saying of the Mariners organization, but the saying "uh doesn't matter, get better." I think that's like the whole like you know, the logic of your excuses are one thing. But, like, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Like, just, like, get better. Just put whatever energy you need towards bettering your life or bettering your situation. Like, put it towards that. Because, really, like, your negativity, like, doesn't matter. And I think yeah. that that's, like, a, is that still, a, like… A
1: rallying cry type thing? Well, it's something we say a lot. Or it's on shirts. Thing. I don't know how much you say it. Like, sometimes it'd be, like, a joke. Right? Like well, it's not so. on, like, t-shirts. Yeah, it's on t-shirts. And yeah. Yeah, it'll be… But it's like mocking it, but it also makes, it makes sense. And it, and it,
0: it really and it fits. makes total
1: so, sense. But everybody connotates it with, uh, when a negative thing happens, but it's like, okay, we win, we win 10 of our first 11 games in the season next year. Doesn't matter. Get better. There's still a hundred and however many to go. Yeah. Okay. We lose nine of our first 10. Doesn't matter. We still need to get better. Like whether it's good or bad, that works. Right. Doesn't matter. Get right. better. And, um, and, and that's just something that we came up with. I think it was, um, Brian Kite is his name. I think brought it to our org and We just kind of adopted it. And because it makes sense, especially in baseball, like it's such an up and down game, right? Like, it's you such know, a long on, on, season. A, on an individual level, level, it's like, okay, you went 0 for 4. Doesn't matter. Get better. Perform tomorrow night. You go 4 for 4 tonight. Doesn't matter. Get better. You have another game tomorrow night. And you're 0 for 0 going into tomorrow <laughs> right? Like it's, it really works with baseball and in life. It's just like, okay this shit happened and it sucks. Well, doesn't matter. I got to get better. We'll yeah,
0: like, say when I call Tony with a problem, be like, okay, now what?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's pretty funny. You say we have t-shirts. Sorry. I got to tell the story during COVID. I was outside barbecuing and I had this barbecue sauce in my hand. I'm wearing one of those t-shirts or no, I was wearing a regular t-shirt and AJ throws a football it hits my son, AJ hits, hits the barbecue sauce and like explodes all over my shirt. And the look on his face is one of a scared child. Like, Oh crap. What is dad going to say to me right now? (laughs) And I saw that look and I like, I know what he's feeling right now. He's probably worried. I'm going to be pissed. And I'm like, AJ, it's okay. You hit me with a ball and that's okay. And there's barbecue sauce all over my shirt. Like go get me another shirt though, please. Like, it's not a big deal though. Don't worry. Like it's cool. It happens. And so he comes back and the shirt he went and got me, he came back with it and it was the DMGB doesn't matter, get better shirt. <laughs> and I couldn't help but laugh. And like, he didn't know what he grabbed, but Aww. but he grabs his shirt that says, doesn't matter. I'm like, perfect timing. Like what this a good a t-shirt to lesson. bring me, right? Like, and, but it was funny because that look he gave me was like, oh shit, dad's going to, you know, how is he going to react to this? I just blew up his barbecue sauce all over his shirt. So, <laughs> but yeah, it works. It works in any situation really.
0: No, it's, a, I feel like this is a great, Spot to like leave the podcast because I think that everybody could take something from that, you know. Like when life throws you shit, like okay, great, it's here. And granted, this is like a much simplified, you know, way of looking at life or situations because it's not all just barbecue sauce on a T-shirt. But it's like, what what steps do we need to take to making more things positive, you know? Yeah. So
1: even when anyways. it's positive, you all have work to do, and yeah. when it's negative, it's you can. N- it's always going to switch. find a positive. Like it's all mindset and.
0: It's so and, true. And
1: how you approach things and how you, your your perspective is on it. And Okay, is this going to hurt me or am I going to somehow find a way to have this help me become a better person or whatever, right?
0: Totally. Well, thank you so much for being here tonight. Our dogs are ready to be inside because <laughs> they're barking. <laughs> but... I love you, and I'm so proud of you, and I just am so glad that you were able to share your experience here on the podcast, and I'm sure this won't be the last time you'll be on the podcast. I feel like I need to get more equipment, so then one night, you, me, Mark, and Heather can all have like a Wine Wednesday crazy podcast. What do you think?
1: That's fine, or I'll just share the microphone with Heather. Oh. Oh.
0: Oh. Oh. Get a room. Okay. All well, right. thanks well, everybody no, for tuning in. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> oh, oh, okay.
1: So I love you too. And uh, I'm <laughs> proud of you too. Like oh, you're, you. you're kicking ass and keep going. I know there's a lot of ups and downs in your world too, but you're doing great. Keep going. Thank you. Yep. I love
0: you. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll uh, see you next week. All right, friends. That's all for today's episode of the Whiskey and Lace podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share the love and leave a review. And remember to join the Whiskey and Lace community by following me on TikTok and Instagram at Whiskey and Lace and send me a DM to say hi and mention this episode. I'd love to meet you. See you next week.